You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist series. I just want to begin where we left off in our conversation before we went live, that my grandfather, in his book, Ali Shur, he begins the first chapter with talking about the study of Talmud, which is what we're doing here. We're going to be learning Talmud, as we do every Friday. My grandfather talks about Talmud and why Talmud is so essential for our growth. To become a Torah Jew, you need to learn how to study Talmud. Why? He says, the moment you open up Talmud, you're going to face a struggle. And the struggle is your imagination. The biggest challenge we have is we open up the Talmud and suddenly we're in Paris and we're in Costa Rica and we're imagining all of our imaginations, all of our dreams and all of our distractions come to our mind. And our Yetzirah is fighting tooth and nail not to allow us to focus on our studies. Why? Because when we study Talmud, when we study Torah, Talmud is the explanation of the Torah, the deciphering and and unpacking of the, I would say, the mysterious words of the Torah. You can learn the Torah very, very uh, literal, literally, but you're going to have a couple of issues. You're not going to know what a mezuzah is. You're not going to know what to fill in R. You're not going to know how to slaughter an animal. The Torah tells us to fulfill these mitzvahs, but it doesn't tell us how to. Because as we know, the written Torah tells us what to do. The oral Torah tells us how to do it. If we don't have a Talmud to explain us, a Mishnah and a Talmud, to explain us how to build a sukkah. It says we should sit in a sukkah. It doesn't say what a sukkah is. It doesn't give us all the definitions of it. It says to have a pre-Eitz Hadar, you should have an etrog, a sit, a citron. It doesn't say exactly what it is. The Talmud explains, the Talmud learns it. And that's what we're doing in this study, is we're opening up and unpacking the words of the Torah so that we can see the deeper secrets and know how to live our lives properly. So the Talmud we're going to focus on, hopefully for the next couple of weeks, is the Talmud, which begins at the bottom of 96b in Tractate Sanhedrin, which talks about Mashiach, the coming of Messiah, the time, the era of Messiah, the generation of Messiah, and hopefully we'll be able to learn and understand, hopefully we'll be able to learn and understand what the times that we're in right now are all about and what to expect and hopefully what to prepare ourselves with because as we will see the purpose of our life is to connect to Hashem the objective of our existence on this earth is to connect as greatly as possible as best we can with the Almighty how do we do that with Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs I'm going to bring you a quote From the first chapter of Misilat Yisharim. Misilat Yisharim, as we know, is the way of the upright or path of the just, translated elsewhere as that. 
But in the first chapter, the first chapter of what the Ramchal writes, he says, Sorry. Why was man created? Mark, why was man created? We were created for pleasure. If you look at the entire world, what does everybody have in mind? Every single human being, even a sadist, his pleasure is messed up, but his pleasure is pain. Everybody is looking for pleasure. The Torah says, you know why we were created? For pleasure. But authentic pleasure, not counterfeit pleasure. Authentic pleasure. What type of pleasure? The pleasure of being close to God and to enjoy, bask in the closeness with Hashem. Which is the greatest and finest pleasure of all the pleasures there are on planet Earth. Where is this real ultimate place of pleasure? That is the world to come. That's the real ultimate place. Because every person was created in this world with the challenges that they need to overcome in order to attain their level in the world to come. For example, imagine that there is a great concert and in order to get into the concert and to watch and listen and enjoy this concert, you need to get a ticket. So, well, if you can afford uh, a more expensive ticket, you'll probably get a better seat, right? Here's the thing, is that in our place in the world to come, there's already a, a sign that says, Mark. It's already named, it's labeled, but we have to earn it, not by paying with money, but by paying with mitzvahs. When we do a mitzvah, when we perform the will of Hashem, what we're doing is we're earning our place in the world to come. Because the Mishnah, we know, the Mishnah tells us, Kol Yisrael Yeshlem the entire Jewish people, everybody, mankind, has a place in the world to come. But you got to earn it. You have your reserved spot. This is where God wants you to reach by the time you're done with your life. And we don't know when that's going to be. You know, someone once came to my grandfather and asked him, he says, how do I explain to my students that sometimes people die young? How do I explain that to them? So my grandfather said, the premise of the question is flawed. Because the premise relies on the thinking that we're all supposed to live to a ripe old age. That's not true. We're supposed to live to complete our task in this world. And as soon as we complete that task in this world, God says, now is your time. If you think about our precious, holy souls that returned to the Creator two weeks ago on Shabbat, in Kfar Aza, in all of the neighboring areas around Gaza that were murdered brutally by these barbarians from Gaza, Hamas militants, our brethren who returned their soul to God finished their task on this world. Those 13, 1400 who perished, who were brutally murdered, they 
concluded their task in this world. And yes, some of them were babies. They concluded their task in this world. And it's shocking. It's still what shocks us and what pains us is that we think that they had a whole life to live, which is true. Many more opportunities to do good deeds. But Hashem, who is the source of all souls, says, no, 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 I want my precious soul back. I want I want this holy neshama back. So yes, it's very sad because that child, that baby, that parent could have done many, many more good deeds. But Hashem said, this is enough. I want those precious souls back. I don't want to wait any longer. Every person is created with the ability to attain their seat in the world to come. The way in which we attain that seat in the world to come is through this world. You cannot get to the world to come without overcoming your challenges and, and accomplishing your mission in this world. And this is what our sages said. This world is compared to a corridor. Before the world to come, the world to come is the big hall. And the tools that bring a person to this Ultimate goal, heim ha-mitzvos. That's the mitzvos. Ashitzivonu alein hokel yisbarach shmo. Which God commanded us with in his Torah. You want to know how you get to the world to come? How you get your place in the world to come? Mitzvos. Heim ha-mitzvos ashitzivonu alein hokel yisbarach shmo. These mitzvos, every single mitzvah that you're able to perform. And a person should never, ever, ever say, Huh, I'm such a hypocrite. I may not observe Shabbos perfectly and now I'm starting to not eat unkosher foods. That's hypocritical. I don't wear a kippah, but I'm going to put on tefillin when I go to shul. There's no hypocrisy in Judaism. Every mitzvah that we're able to perform brings our soul closer to to God. Alkein husama adamazel olam betchilah that's why man was put in this world first. So that through the opportunities that come our way here in this world, we will be able to attain our place that is prepared for us in the world to come. Which is the world to come. To benefit and to bask in the closeness with Hashem that we deserve through the good deeds that we did in this world. This is what our sages of blessed memory said. Today, we do the hard work. But in the long term, in the world to come, that's where we're going to have the greatest portion of joy. And then the Ramchal, <coughs> excuse me, Ramchal continues I'm going to skip one paragraph. I'm going to just get to this point. But God placed us in this world in an existence where there are many, many, many distractions from connecting with Hashem. 
What are those distractions? These are the materialistic trappings. That if we get pulled and attracted to them too much, you know what happens? If we get too distracted by the materialism, we get carried away from our spiritual world. What happens? We become very, very immersed in a struggle. The struggle of physical versus spiritual. Very interestingly, in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Noach, what do we see? There's the world of the Teva, of the Ark of Noach, and then there's the world outside. There's the spiritual world that we can create for ourselves, which is our home, which is hopefully our spiritual, our synagogues, which is our little ark. And then we have the whole outside world. The torch center, you know what this place is? This place is a little ark of holiness, of spirituality. Outside, we have the physicality of the world, the trappings of materialism. So why did God create that? If God knew that that will be a distraction for us, why create it? God created it so that we overcome that materialism, so that we overcome those trappings and then elevate ourselves accordingly, each person according to their abilities. God created these challenges for us. It's an amazing gift that God gave us. So let's get back to the Talmud now and talk about Mashiach. So well, before we talk about Mashiach, we have to know why we were created. We were created for pleasure. The greatest pleasure in the world is a connection with God. And by the way, the closer that connection, the more a person is able to attach themselves with God. And that's, by the way, prayer is a, a connector. Learning Torah is a connector. Reciting Psalms is a connector. Doing mitzvahs is a connector. Each of these things are connectors that bring us closer to God. This is what we're looking for in our lifetime. So now the Gemara begins a lengthy discussion about Messiah. Amr Leir of Nachman bar Yitzchak. This is the bottom of page 96b in Sanhedrin. Rav Nachman said in the name of Rav Yitzchak, have you heard when Barnafli will come? Now, who's Barnafli? We'll see in a minute. The Gemara asks this question. Rabbi Yitzchak, Amarle, Rabbi Yitzchak said to him, Man Barnafli, who is Barnafli? He answered him back. Rav Nachman said to him, Moshiach, it's the Messiah. Moshiach Barnafli Korisle. Rabbi Yitzchak asked, Why do you call Messiah Barnafli? Amarle, because he says, Yes, on that day I will establish Esukas David Hanofales. On that day I will restore the booth, I will establish the booth of David that has fallen, Nafli, which is Hanofales, which is, that has fallen. So therefore we call Messiah Bar Nafli. He who has fallen. Having ascertained the meaning of Rabnachman's question, Reb 
Yitzchak now answers it. Amar le, Rabbi Yitzchak says to him, Hachi Amar Rabbi Yochanan, this is what Rabbi Yochanan said, Dor Sheben David Babo, in the generation when the son of David, which is Messiah, will come, Talmidei Chachamim Mismaratim, the number of Torah scholars will decrease. Ve'asha'ar and the rest of the people, Einein Kolos B'yogon V'anacho, their eyes will become worn out through grief and anxiety. Vitsoros rabos vigzeros kashos mischachos, and numerous troubles and harsh decrees will be constantly appearing anew. Shaharishona pekuda, before the first trouble is over, shniyam imaharis lavo, the second one will hasten to appear. I ask you, my dear friends, are we in the times of Messiah? Undoubtedly. The Talmud now continues. The following Bryce describes a seven-year cycle preceding the Messiah's arrival. Tanurabonon. The rabbis taught in a Bryce. Shavua Sheben David Bo. The seven-year cycle when the son of David will come. Shana Rishana Miskayim Mikrozeh. In the first year, the verse will be fulfilled. Which verse? Vihimtarti al-ir achas ir achas loamtir. I will bring rain on one town, and on one town I will not bring rain. Meaning there will there will be a su- sufficiently a sufficiency. There will be a sufficiency in some areas and a famine in other areas. Shnia chitzei rav mishdalchim. In the th- second year, I, this is the seven years leading up to Messiah. In the second year, the arrows of famine will be sent forth, meaning there will be a limited famine in all areas. Shlishi Rav Gadol. In the third year, there will be a great famine. Men, women, and children will perish. And so will pious people and people of good deeds. And Torah knowledge will be forgotten from its students. In the fourth year, in the fourth year, there will be a sufficiency, but not a complete sufficiency of food. In the fifth year, there will be a great sufficiency of food. People will eat, drink, and rejoice. And Torah knowledge will return to its students. And in the sixth year, there will be sounds. Bashvis milchamos, and in the seventh year there will be wars. B'motzoi shvis ben David ba, and the aftermath of the seventh year, in the eighth year, the son of David will come. So this, the Gemara says, the Talmud here says, the lead up to the coming of Messiah is not going to be a pleasant one. It's going to be partial famine, partial rain, partial famine, full out famine. Slightly better conditions, outstanding conditions, and then hopefully, um, but again, you'll have wars. Could be that we're in that sixth or seventh year already where we're having unbelievable wars going on in Israel. I mean, just, just to be put into perspective, if uh, any of you are online and you go to Rabbi Brody's website laserbeams.com or amunabeams.com you will find he has a video there from his bomb shelter from last night 
from 1230 in the morning, you hear the sounds of these rockets. And these are rockets that are being uh, uh, eliminated by the Iron Dome, another miracle that Hashem gave the Jewish people to have the intelligence to create such a thing. Imagine if there wasn't an Iron Dome. Those Iron Dome rockets that neutralize the bombardments from Gaza are very, very expensive. What they do is, is that they monitor the second the rocket is launched, they monitor the trajectory, the speed, the size, everything, and then they they already can evaluate where it's going to land. If it's going to land in a populated area, then the counter-rocket, the Iron Dome, immediately gets launched and eliminates it. If it's going to fall in an open area, let it fall in an open area. Who cares? As long as it doesn't hurt people. Sometimes it misses, and sometimes it lands and destroys homes and destroys neighborhoods and destroys playgrounds and kills people. So... We're in an all-out war already for many, many years. We don't know when that time is going to be when Mashiach reveals himself. But Rabbi Yosef asks a question. But there have been many such seven-year periods. How many times have the Jewish had Jewish people had famines, no rain, wars, all of the terrible challenges that we've experienced, we've had so many of them. And Mashiach did not come after them. The Gemara answers, Amar Abaye, Abaye said to Rev Yosef, Bishishis kolos bishvis mechomos mihavyo? Were there sounds in the sixth year and wars in the seventh? Ve'od, furthermore, Kesidron mihavyo, did these events that you say occurred already, did they happen in the proper order? They didn't. So now the the Gemara continues. The Gemara brings a verse from Scripture: "Asher Chorfu Oivecho Hashem, Asher Chorfu Ikvus de Mashicha." That your enemies have taunted, O Hashem, that they have taunted the footsteps of your Messiah. The Gemara cites another brisa that describes the pre-Messianic era. Tanya, it was taught in a brisa of Yehuda Omer. Of Yehuda said. Dorsha ben David ba bo, the generation when the Messiah, the son of David, will come. Base havaad yeliznus, the meeting place will be used for licentiousness. Vehagolil yecharav, and the Galilee will lay waste. Vehagavlon yesham, and the Gavlon will be desolate. What's the Gavlon? It's the name of a place in the northeastern part of Israel. Uh, according to some opinions, it's referring to the Torah scrolls because it's a Gvil. Gvil is like a, a parchment that the Torah will suffer a neglect because the number of students will be decreased. And the people of the border will wander from town to town and not be granted favor. The Chochmas Hasso from Tisrach and the wisdom of scholars will decay. 
and those who fear sin will be despised. And the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. And the truth will be absent. As it states, and the truth will be absent, and he that turns away from evil will become foolish. I mean, if you just look at this quote of the Talmud, it's an unbelievable thing. Think about this for a second. Those who fear sin will be despised. Anybody who knows what was going on prior to this war, for the past six months we've been dealing with judicial reform in the state of Israel, and it's caused an uprising of anti-religious hatred among the secular. And to the point where people were doing such terrible, terrible things to show rejection and to show despise and disgust with those who study Torah. People, women particularly, were walking into synagogues in middle of Yom Kippur services, scantily clad, to desecrate the prayers. This is a terrible thing. And if I can say, if there's one thing, one virtue of this entire war that broke out in the past two weeks is that the Jewish people have become united like never, ever before. The unity that you see, I saw a video yesterday that brought me to tears. Completely secular Israeli officer walks over to a group of Haredi, I'm talking about Haredi meaning uh, ultra-religious observant Jews with long side curls who out of their own goodness brought out food for hundreds and hundreds of soldiers. And this officer, secular officer, no keep on his head, probably not a very religious person from the looks of it. And he goes over to each of those people who are bringing and serving food. Not only says thank you, but gives each and every one of them a hug and a kiss. The Jewish people become united through challenge. You know, soon, we mentioned this previously, soon we're going to be celebrating the holiday of Hanukkah. Next month, the 25th of Kislev. And as we know, the menorah in the temple and the menorah in our Hanukkiah, in our menorah that we light, you can use anything that lights, but the optimum, proper way to light the menorah, particularly in the temple, was only with olive oil. And it had to be the purest olive oil. What does it mean, the purest? The most freshly squeezed olive oil from the first slam on that olive the freshest. The question our sages ask is why olive oil? You can use the many different types of oils. There are many different types of ways that you can extract oil. Why does it need to be olive oil? Sages tell us because the way you get the oil out of the olive is by squeezing it. And that's how you get the finest quality oil. Our sages tell us the Jewish people are compared to olive oil. The way you bring out the finest of the Jewish people 
is when you crush them. When you crush the Jewish people, that's when we have unity. The greatness of our people comes out when we're facing challenges. Perhaps, maybe perhaps, that's the reason Hashem brings this challenge to us. So that we learn that we have much more in common, much more to love about one another than to dislike in one another. To find the greatness in one another. To see the, the, the goodness in each and every one of our brethren. That's perhaps the greatest outcome of this war. I don't know what's going to happen in Gaza. I don't know if there's going to be a ground invasion. I don't know what. None of us know. That's in the hands of Hashem. But what I do know is the things that we can do, like have unity, like have brothers and sisters, Jews from all walks of life come together and be united as one, there's nothing more virtuous for the Jewish people than unity. There's nothing that brings the mercy of Hashem and the kindness of Hashem upon His people than us being united one another. So yes, it's a time of terrible, terrible concern and worry and we pray every day in every single synagogue. We're reciting psalms before prayers, after prayers for the benefit of our brethren in Israel. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen. We're asking Hashem to help us. But along with that, we've had the greatest salvation already because we have unity. And when we have unity, no one can stop unity. So the Talmud continues here and says that the wisdom of scholars will decay. What does that mean it'll decay? People won't pay attention. It used to be that you have a lecture. People would come. People would come from far and wide. Unfortunately, we only get a select few. And those who fear sin will be despised. And the face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. People will look like dogs. I'm not here to be offensive towards anyone. And everyone, holy, precious human beings. But you go to some coffee shops and you're like, what in the world is going on here? What has mankind fallen to? To look like dogs. Quite literally. With all the piercings, with all the tattoos, with all of the ridiculous, rebellious behaviors that they do. What is the idea of a dog? Why does the Talmud use a dog as a comparison? You see, a dog, when it's hungry, it eats wherever he is. has no dignity. Although a dog has a big heart, he has no dignity. And 
that's perhaps what our generation is coming to. It does have a big heart, but no dignity. And perhaps it's another one of the important signs that we can already see that we are in the times of Messiah. The Talmud now asks, What is the meaning and the truth will be absent? The truth will be absent. The Gemara answers, Amri de Beirav, the academy, in the academy they said, This teaches that the truth will be formed into groups and they will go away. You know this modern day thing that people like to say, well, everyone has their truth. That's basically saying that we don't conform to a specific truth, but that truth is flexible. Like for me, my truth is is that I believe that this ceiling is not black, this ceiling is purple. That's my truth because I relate to that as purple. No, that's not true. You don't have arbitrary truth. This is my perspective of truth. No, that's not how it works. It's a difficult world we're living in. But this is the time of Mashiach. The Gemara questions the next part of the verse. And what is the meaning of that which we mentioned? That it says, And he that turns away from evil will become foolish. The Gemara answers, In the academy of Rabbi Shiloh, they said, Call me Shasar Meira Alabrios. This means that whoever turns away from evil will be considered foolish by the rest of the people. I have to tell you something. I've had so many people in our community tell me, people who are not Torah observant, people who are not religious, but they tell me, you know, my son is struggling. I think he needs some religion. It's like religion is for those who are have problems. You got issues? You probably need religion, but I'm fine. Everything is good in my life. It's a tragedy that that's what people see because I know this might be a hard truth, but it's a truth. The further people are going from their synagogues, people who are not attending their synagogues, people who are not going every week. And I can tell you, I have many friends who told me that attendance in their synagogues on the high holidays this year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, was abysmal at best. Where are the people? Why are people not attending synagogue? Why are people finding other things to do other than be in a place where they can talk to God. A guy told me in his congregation, and I'm not going to mention the name, they didn't even have two dozen people there. And he said the majority of the people weren't there to pray. They were there to socialize. Which, by the way, has its own merit. But that's not why we go to synagogue. We don't go to synagogue to socialize. It's a side benefit that you can do before prayer, you can do after prayer, not during prayer. Sadly, I think this is the tragedy of COVID. 
The tragedy of COVID is that people became comfortable not going to synagogue. People became comfortable signing online onto Zoom, and they can be now with any congregation, hear any cantor, hear any sermon they want. If they don't like it, just turn it off. Even though the rabbi may be saying a sermon that is relevant and important for them, for their own spiritual growth, possibly. But the problem is it's become a long-distance relationship, becoming more and more complacent and more and more distant with what should be real in our relationship with Hashem. So what happens? What's the next generation going to bring? If I'm distant from synagogue, what are my children going to be? It's a big problem we're facing, my dear friends. The times of Mashiach are not going to be easy times. And if we want to merit, and the Talmud's going to talk about this more soon, we have to make sure that we preserve our relationship with Hashem. And that not only preserve it to what it was, but to make it even better, to improve it, and to invest in that relationship with God. There shouldn't be this barrier where people say, oh, that's for the religious. That's for the scholars. That's for people who went to Hebrew day school. But me, I live out in Humble. I live out in Beaumont. It's not for me. No. Guess what? We've had classes that we provided to congregations all around the state. Even as far as in Dallas, in Austin, Dallas as well. We went out, there was a group that wanted to have a class. I drove out there myself to go teach Torah there because I don't want ever for there to be a complaint when I come up to the heavens, hopefully. And I'm standing between the heavenly tribunal and they're saying to me, what did you do with your life? I say, well, I think I did a lot, whatever, right? Maybe. And they're going to say, really? Didn't you get that phone call from someone in Austin? They wanted to learn Torah and you turned them down? What am I going to say? Oh, Hashem, I really care about your Torah. People asked me to learn and I turned them down. Heaven forbid. Never turn down an opportunity to teach Torah. But if any one of you, any of you listening, any of you online, on podcast, wherever you are, you want a class from Torch? Give me a phone call. Email me. We'll get something started. We're looking for opportunities to reach more Jews, to teach more Torah, to get the word of Hashem out there. We need as many merits as possible. Having mentioned a situation where truthfulness will be absent, the Gemara digresses to relate a story about people who spoke only the truth. Amar Rava. Rava said, Meresh hava amina. At first, I used to say that, Leka kushta ba'ama, that there is no truth in the world. I.e., what does that mean? There's no person who speaks only the truth. Everybody has a little bend. You know what they say? I heard this from Rabbi Brody yesterday from his Rebbe, the Melitzer Rebbe. He says 99% truth is 100% lie. Someone once came to their 
teacher and said, how do you define exaggeration? He says, oh, you mean lying? So here the Gemara says, at first I thought that there was no one who speaks only truth. But then one of the rabbis said to me, and Rav Tavus was his name, and some say his name was Rav Tavyume. If even they would give him all the riches of the world, he would not tell a lie. He related the following story to me. Once I visited a certain town, he said, and the place, the name of the place was Kushta. Anybody know what Kushta means? Kushta means truth in Aramaic. And its inhabitants would not tell a lie. And none of the people from that city died before their time. I married a woman from among them. And I had two sons with her. The narrative continues. In the third personnel. Yomachada, one day, his wife was sitting and washing her hair. Asai she bavta, tarfa adasha. Her neighbor came and knocked on the door asking to speak to her. Sovar lav orcha ara, thinking that it would not be proper to tell that neighbor that his wife was washing her hair. Amarle, he said to the neighbor, she's not here. It's like your children pick up the phone during dinner. You say, tell them daddy's not home. <laughs> right? It's, it's, not, it's not truthful. <laughs> Subsequently, his two sons died. <laughs> the people from the town came to him and said to him, My hi, what is the reason for this? Why did your children die? <laughs> he told them what had happened. Amrlay, they said to him, We beg you, leave our town. And do not incite death amongst these people. Meaning, falsehood leads to terrible tragedy. This one city was famous because nobody said a lie and therefore nobody died in an inappropriate time. People lived out their lives. You know, I'll tell you an amazing story and we'll conclude this as we're a little bit over time. The Chavetz Chaim, as many of you know, the Chavetz Chaim lived in a city of Raden. I don't know if you've ever been to Raden or if you've even found it on a map. Today it's in Belarus. It used to be in Poland. I went to the city of Raden. In 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 uh, Polish, it's or in, in uh, Belarusian, it's written as Radun. But so if you look on the map, you might be able to find it like that. But that's the Chavetz Chaim. It was a very very small village. He had a yeshiva there, had an entire community there, and I went to see the house that the Chavetz Chaim lived in, to see the building that the yeshiva was in. And I went to the grave site of the Chavetz Chaim 
talking about the Chavetz Chaim, was the leader of the generation. He wrote 24 different books, of which many of them are here on my shelf. Chavetz Chaim was, I mean, aside for his commentary on the Torah and commentaries on everything you can possibly imagine, the writings, the Mishnabrura, the Shmira Salash, and the Chavetz Chaim, the book Chavetz Chaim, which is where he got his name from, people called him after his book. So he was buried in Raden. Now I ask you today, who's living in Raden? Nobody, no Jews are living in Raden. There were two Jews who came to the city of Raden and said, let's dig up the grave of the Chavetz Chaim and bring him to the holy city of Jerusalem. Let's bury him properly in Jerusalem. It's not uncommon that people take someone who was so holy and bring them to Jerusalem. As the Talmud says, the Midrash teaches us, that at the time of the Messiah, all of the souls, all of the bodies, will travel to Jerusalem to be restored with their souls. We're not going to get into this now. Either way, it's a painful thing to travel underground in tunnels all the way to Israel. So, to bring merit to that righteous person, they bring the body already to Israel. And there are many who were transferred to Israel. So they started digging, and suddenly they see all of the townspeople locking arms around the cemetery. And they went over, they stopped, they went over, what's going on, what are you doing? They said, you're not taking the Chavetz Chaim, the great Jewish rabbi who's buried here, you're not taking him out of his, out of the cemetery. He said, why not? They said since the Chavetz Chaim passed away in 1934, no woman in our town ever had a miscarriage. These are non-Jews who recognize the power of holiness, who understand the power of true greatness. The Chavetz Chaim was such a holy, righteous man Incredible, incredible merit that he brings to his city. The Chafetz Chaim was the pinnacle of truth. He was exact with his words. He was exact with how he treated his customers. He had a a little shop and he only kept the shop open for as much money he needed for that Shabbos. He'd open up Sunday morning and people would line up out the door. And while people were shopping, he would be learning Torah at the counter. Who wouldn't want to go shopping at the Chavetz Chaim store? You want to go to Randall's? You want to go to Kroger? Or do you want to go to the Chavetz Chaim's shop and see the great holy sage? And the Chavetz Chaim knew that. As soon as he earned enough money for Shabbos, he'd close the shop and say, go to my competitor. Go support him. The man who lived with absolute truth. My dear friends, we are living in challenging times. There's only one constant that we have, that we need to have, and we need to pursue, and we need to nourish, and that is the relationship with Hashem. My dear friends, let's utilize every single minute of our day to connect ourselves with the Almighty and to elevate our relationships with Him 
as much as possible. Shabbat Shalom.